Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Chris Freiswick sits down in the interrogation room with me to clear a few things up. Chris is an award-winning editor, journalist, humorist, and author, and she's just released her debut novel, The Ghost Manuscript, which landed at an internet and bookstore near you on April 2nd. She's the deputy editor of the Mansion section of the Wall Street Journal, and she's also had professional involvement with Inc. Magazine, the Boston Phoenix Newspapers, The Economist, Medium, Entrepreneur Magazine, the Boston Globe Magazine, Departures, The National and Hemispheres. Her humor columns were included in two best-selling anthologies, and in her personal life, Chris describes herself as an avid cyclist, traveler, and quasi-gourmet cook. She detests shopping, knows how to start a fire, and can load a rifle and ride an ATV without flipping it over, although probably not at the same time. <laughs> Chris, welcome to Writers on the Beat. Thank you for making time to join me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. I'm I'm really excited about your debut novel. I've uh, uh, started working on it, getting into it in the last week, and I am really intrigued with this. It's the ghost manuscript. And uh, what what would you like readers to know about this debut novel? So a couple of things. Um, first of all, I had two really kind of key goals, well, three key goals when I sat down to work on this book. One, I think my primary reason for even starting it in the first place was I wanted to write a book that I would want to read. Um, and by that, I mean just something that would be entertaining, uh, something that would be uh, gripping, uh, and that and that was like other books that I had read in the genre, in the thriller genre, that I literally could not put down. If someone said to me, I could not put this book down, then I was like, mission accomplished. Perfect. So that was really kind of my sort of my my overarching motivation. Once I got into the actual writing of it, I really wanted to write a thriller that featured a strong female protagonist mm -hmm. who was just a normal average person who was plunged into extraordinary circumstances, but someone that didn't have some sort of special ops training or like was a former spy or, you know, like an army ranger had like some kind of amazing military or, you know, some kind of background that imbued them with, you know, powers that sort of the normal person wouldn't have. I wanted this woman to just be like just a normal chick, you know, just like yeah. me, for or my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I wanted her to be surrounded by a circumstance that she never envisioned being in, and 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 figuring out what she needed to do on the fly using normal tools that any other normal person would have. And then lastly, because I'm a journalist and I. Part, this is part of my job I love the most is research. Mm -hmm. I wanted, and I love history. I'm a huge history fan. And I, I wanted the book to be based as closely as possible to fact. I wanted everything in the book to either be factually accurate, to be the prevailing theory of what historians think happened, or I wanted it to be something that was absolutely entirely plausible based on historical evidence. So those are my like those are sort of my guiding lights, and I think I did it. Um, I my people who have read the book tell me I did it, so I'm feeling pretty happy right now. And it's early days, obviously, since the book just came out on April second. Yeah, it is uh, it is brand new. Just uh, the stork just dropped this off. Um, so 
all of that is making me really tough for me to choose the next question off my list here. So as a fellow history nerd, um, self-described, um, I'm going to go in for the research here. Um, how, how much research did you have to put in for the historical elements of the ghost manuscript and how much of its past events are true or based on real life? And where did you apply some frictional lubricant there? So um, really, I, the answer to your first question, how much research did I do? The answer is a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> the book basically from from the spark of inspiration for the idea to the day it landed on your doorstep was well over 12 years. Um, a lot of that was taken up with trying to get an agent and working with a freelance editor and, you know, the year between signing a contract and the actual delivery of the baby, uh, so to speak. Um, but it was, it was just a huge research project. I mean, I, I write in a program called Scrivener and yes. the thing that's fun about Scrivener is you can like, you have very easy access to all of your research notes. And my, my file for this document is just, it's Man. like, it's, it takes up almost my entire hard drive <laughs> with just like PDFs and links and this, that, the other thing for all of the different strains of knowledge I sort of had to have um in order to 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 weave this story together and i'm and i can't even say that i like uh, am really that, that i even really scratched any of them because they're all so interesting but i did the amount i needed to do to tell a convincing story i, I it would have been so easy for me to go down the rabbit hole for another 10 years on just one of the strands of the story um because again as a journalist like I love really digging as deeply as I can into a subject, but I just, I couldn't do that. I couldn't get lost in the research part because I had to write the thing, you know? Um, as far as how much of it is true, as I said, my goal, which I accomplished to the very best of my ability, was to make absolutely everything in the book as close to, as close to either true, the prevailing theory held by historians, or entirely plausible based on available evidence. So, you know, the, the locations are all true. The um, historical background for, uh, for the, the sort of events that take place in the book, that are referenced in the book, those are all, you know, to the extent that the historians know what went on, that's all based on their best theories. And, um, and then I wove my characters, the, my fictional characters, who are, all the characters in the books are, are fictional. There's no one real. Of course, they're all based on people I know because that's how we write fiction. Sure. Um, but th those characters are woven through those facts. They're woven through the various skeins of information that I've been able to, to mine on, over the years um, into a cohesive, what I hope is a cohesive and compelling plot line. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's basically how it worked. So this uh, um, this novel is uh, filed in the the paranormal thriller subgenre, which I imagine leaves you with some leeway on fictional aspects of the universe. But it sounds like you've really done a fantastic job of making this very very real. Um, did you find that there were any kind of constrictions placed on you kind of by reader expectations of that genre, or did you feel pretty free to, to, to mold this as you saw fit? Well, you know, it's interesting when you think about where your book lands in, you know, I, I, I looked at Amazon, of course, I've been like obsessively looking at Amazon <laughs> to see what my ranking is ever since the book came out. Yes. But 
the reality is I have no, we have very little control over where the, what genre the book lands in. Now my, I think my publisher made, I had recommended what genres I thought would be the best for us. Mm -hmm. But then there was an audiobook version, there's a Kindle version, there's best, there's a hardcover version, there will hopefully be a paperback version. And somebody made decisions about where each of those things was gonna land in the, in the sort of genre categories. Mm -hmm. And paranormal thriller is accurate, so is Native American thriller, so mm -hmm. is historical thriller. And every one of the types of, every one of the media that my book appears in, that they're in different genres. So I have, there's no rhyme or reason. Um, I think that the hardcover version is in the historical thriller genre. It's in the general thriller genre. And then I think it might be in the uh, terrorism genre as well. So, I mean, who the heck knows? It's, yeah, <laughs> virtually identical. Yeah, it's... yeah, I mean, I mean, and the reality is like, I hadn't, I didn't think of any of that when I was writing the book. I like thrillers. I like crime. I like horror. I like mystery. I like history. That was the, and I like, and I, and I know what I like to read. And those were really the only things that I aimed at when I was writing. Um, I tried to, I tried to write something that I wouldn't be able to put down. Now your bio would indicate that you spent a lot of time growing up outdoors in this novel kind of leads me to believe that much of that might've been spent telling ghost stories around a campfire. Is there any truth to that assumption? Well, there was a lot of, it's funny. My mom uh, always used to tell me that when she was pregnant with me, she, she had insomnia and she would, you know, my dad would be working late and stuff and, and she would literally sit on the couch in our living room and just read ghost stories. Like she loved <laughs> ghost stories. And so I feel like I maybe have it like in my DNA at this point. Yes. Um, and I remember as a little kid, I was that freaky little kid who just loved ghost stories, loved horror. Um, and my teachers, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer from a very young age and my teachers were more than happy to indulge me. And my, I, I am not kidding you. I, this is a true story. My second grade teacher gave me a copy of Guy de Maupassant's book, Le, The Horla, which is like this horrible, wow. violent, you know, this sort of stuff would not fly for second graders in 2019. <laughs> like that teacher would probably be in jail right now. But, yes, but yeah. yeah, I mean, she, she was like, yeah, you know what? She can handle it. She was right. I could handle it. And I was, I was intrigued. And I read Edgar Allan Poe and I read like all the classic horror writers and, you know, who didn't love Ghost and Mrs. Muir on television back then. And, you know, so I, I kind of, I kind of came up with ghost stories. Um, but it didn't really, it didn't really occur to me that this was the first book I was going to write was going to be a ghost story. And then it just turned, it sort of just turned out that way because of the, the sort of inciting incident that, that sparked the, the idea in the first place it was related to sort of a ghostly sort of tale. And I was like, Oh boy, that's interesting. And then, you know, the what if started, which is how all novels sort of find their Genesis. What if you keep asking that question and digging deeper and deeper. And before you know it, you have a plot. So. Oh mentioned your second grade teacher, I would imagine maybe is the, the first of maybe many writing mentors. Can you talk about what your relationship has been with mentors or maybe people that you've mentored in writing growing up? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I remember every single teacher I had growing up because they, I grew up in a very small, not well-funded public school 
mm-hmm. in the middle of Massachusetts, very, and, and it's a rural part of Massachusetts. And those teachers cared so much about what happened to us. Wow. And we would, we didn't have huge, we didn't have a huge, um, like my class, I think I, there was 70 kids in my class altogether, but wow. we had big classrooms. Like we were, there was 30 kids in a classroom and we just didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And every, but every single one of Mrs. Wall, Mrs. DeRosiers, Mrs. Hughes, Mr. Nelson, you know, like I remember first, mm-hmm. second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way up to high school. And they just cared so much. And I remember I had a eighth grade teacher who uh, was so convinced that I was going to be a novelist when I was, how old are you in eighth grade? I guess it was 13 years old, Uh, 12 or 13 years old, that he, you know, I had a fourth grade teacher who was like, you should write a novel, fourth grade, I'm 10 years old. But they (laughs) all, they were like, you, you're supposed to do this. Like they all Uh kind of caught onto it. And I feel so fortunate that I had people in my life, even from that very young age, who saw that as like a viable thing that a person could do um, and who encouraged it so strongly. And, um, you know, it's part of the reason I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist, you know, my entire life is because of that. Um, and and I, I had writers in my mom's side of the family. So it was always something that, you know, you could look at and say, oh, yeah, no, people actually do do this. You know, this is not just some kind of fallacy job that, you know, like being a ballerina, you know, yes. <laughs> um, uh, which was really not the thing I was supposed to do. I was not supposed to be a ballerina, although I did take ballet when I was little. Um, but I, and then as I got older and I, as I started kind of writing professionally, I had any number of editors who uh, helped shape the way I looked at news and the way I looked at, at, at story structure. But then fiction is such a different animal from journalism. Um, yes. Although I'm, there are a lot of people <laughs> would would debate that fact these days. Um, but but the, the the art of fiction is so complex and so difficult, and it is it's almost like a different language from the type of writing that I had been doing for my entire professional life. And that I really did rely on the kindness of people who were good at it. Uh, there's an organization in Boston where most of this book was written called Grub Street Writers. And it's run by, uh, was started by a woman named E. Bridberg back, gosh, I want to say it was 22 or three years ago. And it's like, it's like a, an MFA program, but it's not an MFA program. Okay. And it's, and it's, it's one of the most amazing supportive environments for for fiction and nonfiction writers uh, that I have ever, ever encountered. In fact, their annual conference is going on right now and it's, it's called news in the marketplace. And it's, it's by far the best writers conference I've ever attended. Ex- with the possible exception of thriller fest, which the international uh, thriller yes. writers organization yes. puts on. And that was, I went to that last year for the first time. And I tell you what, it blew mm. my doors off. It was so good. Yeah. This July is going to be my first trip there. And I'm, I'm, Really excited. It's going to be my first time in New York at all, but I'm really excited about Thriller Fest. It's, oh, it's I, such a wonderful, uh, oh boy, you're going to have such a good time. And, and I can't wait to go again. And I, now I have a book that I can bring yes. with me and I'm so excited. And, <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you that, that organization uh, is such a tight, they, the Thriller community is such a tight knit community 
and they are so welcoming and they are so supportive of everyone who tries to be part of it, who wants entrance to it. They're, they, they welcome you with open arms. They bend over backwards to do anything they can to help you get publicity, to help you you know, learn. There's all kinds of amazing resources available, um, not only through their website, but through uh, individual programs uh, that, that run while Thriller Fest is going on. I had the great pleasure of taking a master class with Steve Barry last year. Wow. And, uh, and he, who it, it just really like, you know, you, you think you're a writer and then you go and sit in a room with this guy yeah. for a day. And I, I walked out of there and my book was already with the publisher and I was like, Oh my God, I have to rewrite my book. Like I did everything wrong. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, he was just so amazing. And then to my utter astonishment, he agreed to read and blurb my book. So I proudly display a blurb from Steve Barry yes. on the cover of, of my book. So, um, so I would, I would definitely point to him as someone that not only, not only was he an amazing instructor in terms of just the nuts and bolts of this particular genre, but he is such a generous person with his time and energy to help create the next generation of thriller writers and to support the genre in a very meaningful way. He and his wife both are just remarkable uh, with what they do. So, you know, definitely sh shouting up to him, shouting out to all the amazing writers that I've had the opportunity to work with in workshop settings, um, many of whom have gone on to become and or are become in the process of becoming best selling authors. Um, so I've, I've just, uh, boy, I'm just, I'm so fortunate. I've just been surrounded by amazing, amazing writers. And, you know, you just got to be a sponge. You never stop learning this stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as you were talking about the, especially the, the history side of this and, and the, you know, the, your, your protagonist not being a, you know, spec ops, green beret ninja, um, you know, <laughs> making me, reminded me very much of the conversations I've had in the past couple of months with, uh, Steve Barry and Harlan Coben and, you know, talking about, you know, Dan Brown, a lot of the, the people who are generally recognized or thought of when you talk about historical fiction, right? Um, and that's a, a, a really weighty, um, weighty part of the, the uh, uh, of the writing community to be involved in. And it's absolutely incredible to have somebody like, like Steve Barry come out hitting for you. That's, that's really, no, I, without question. I mean, I, 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 I name drop him every single <laughs> opportunity I get because boy, I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. And you know what? He said something, he started off the class that I took last year and he said, you're, and he said to the class, not me, but like to everyone in the room. And it was, it was filled with people had, who had been published multiple times. This is not just a group of people who were like, I want to be a thriller writer. It was like, these people were doing it. Everyone in the room had been published. And he looked at us and he said, you are thriller writers and your job is to sell books. And when you think about it, thriller writers sell a ton of books. When you look at the numbers for people that are in the mystery, crime, and thriller genres, they, I mean, the, the, the literary uh, genres cannot hold a candle to the amount of books that these guys sell. Nope. And they do that by writing books. Every year they come out with a book. And then I look at mine and it took me 12 years to write this darn thing. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I got to get my, I got to get my skates on here and start pumping out some books. Cause Steve says my job is to sell books now. So yes. I got to do it. Yeah. New job title. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about your, your previous works. Um, you previously been published um, in a couple of collections of, of, uh, of humor. Um, 
books. How different was the experience in the process of writing this thriller against trying to make people laugh? Um, you know, you think it would be really, really different, but it's just a slightly different muscle doing basically the same movement. Um, you have to understand why something is funny before mm -hmm. you can write something funny. Um, and you also have to, un you have to also know your own voice because me trying to be funny, like say, um, Oh God, I'm like completely blank, like Woody Allen or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not Woody Allen. I, he's not me. My voice is going to be completely different than him. Uh, you know, I can't be Dave Chappelle. I can't be Steve Martin. I can't be Rita Rudner or like any of these classic funny people. Um, I can't be PJ O'Rourke. All I can be is me. At, but so I got to kind of find out what's funny about my my point of view and my voice. Mm -hmm. And and with fiction. You know, all I can do is write like Chris Frieswick. All I can do is write a thriller in the style of Chris Frieswick. That's the only the only pe person I can be. Um, and so, the hardest part of writing uh, humor and fiction is figuring out what that voice is, and then and then and then using it. You know, I mean, it, that sounds really simplistic, but it it's true that is the hardest part of any kind of creative genre of writing, it, whether it's humor or fiction or poetry or whatever it is. Like mm -hmm. you got to find what makes you, you, because that's what people are going to buy. That's what people want to hear. They want, that's the voice they want to hear in their heads when they read your stuff, whether it's humor or fiction or thriller or whatever. Um, you know, I would say you could probably read five pages of, Harlan Coben, James Patterson, Robert Ludlum, and you know within five pages who you were reading. Yes. Robert Harris, like you know immediately who you were reading because of their such, they all have such distinctive styles. And, you know, that's, that's been something I'm, I'm, I will continue to work on probably for the rest of my writing life is, is honing that. Now, you talk about you know, writing in your authentic voice. Um, the main character, the protagonist in the Ghost Manuscript, I think it, it's fair to describe her as an introvert from, from how far I've gotten in the book. Um, and I think she might have a strong preference for the company of you know, leather-bound first editions of centuries past to the consumable trappings of modern people and, and big parties. Talking to you, I have a little bit of a trouble imagining you and her being the same person or is there any overlap between the two of you i feel like i think with every within every extrovert lurks an introvert who uh just can't stop talking because <laughs> 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 um, uh, i mean i i i definitely like, i'm sort of a um schizophrenic when it comes to that like I'm okay. very extroverted I my all my I get all my energy from being around people but then I hit a wall and I'm like I gotta go hide out for a couple of days and just yeah. not talk to anybody because I just need to recharge um so I'm a little bit of both however the character of Karis Jones who is my protagonist in this book is really modeled after people that I know there she's not really me she's people that I know who I've watched go through a metamorphosis similar to what Karis is going through. Um, 
I'm I'm probably more in another character, uh, the the character of, of her best friend Annie. I feel like I kind of identify more with her, and she's a secondary character. She's not a main character. Um, and I and I felt like it was easier to write Karis because I wasn't her. You know how it's hard to sort of describe what you look like if if you had to describe yourself to someone. Yes. You, you'd stumble all over it and you'd be like, I, I, well, I, you know, I'm kind of tall and my hair is kind of, uh, uh, but if you were going to describe a friend, you could do that beautifully. You could describe their hair, you could describe their eyes, their skin tone, their body shape, their personality. And so it was a lot easier for me to have a, a lead character that was not of, it was not me because that way I could kind of really describe what I was looking at dispassionately. And also describe her personality and her evolution. And things have happened to her, my character, Karis, that never happened to me. Although I think, you know, there's a little bit of overlap uh, here and there. But but uh, for the most part, like, she really is an other um, it, it, compared to me. Like, she's, very, she's a very different person than I am. So... What would you like readers to to take away from from this work from from their time spent with Karis? Well, I mean, I really hope that they, again, like I said, my motivation for writing it, the top motivation was I just wanted to write a story that people couldn't put down. Mm-hmm. Um, if if people walk away feeling that way, that a hundred percent, then I'm like mission accomplished. If if that happens. Secondarily to that, I would love people to be as enthralled with the history of the period of time that I write about in this book as I was. Um, I speak specifically of the the uh, sort of Romano-British, uh, what is called by some people the Dark Ages, although many people take umbrage with that term, and I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why, but they do. Um, but specifically the time period, 400 to 700 AD, right after the Romans withdrew from the British Isles, leaving the Romano-British citizens completely undefended from the Anglo-Saxon invaders. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the upheaval, the cultural upheaval, the societal upheaval, the educational, the literacy upheaval that went on during that period of time is just unprecedented uh, where that part of the world went from sort of literate and educated, governed, organized to the sort of just illiterate and decimated in a very short period of time. And it's fascinating. And the, and the, and the, the history of that period is, is precious because there's so little that we know about it because so much of the writing just stopped during that period. And so the books that did survive from that period of time are so interesting and so precious. And um, so people kind of get a newfound appreciation for that period of time. That would be cool. Um, And the other thing I think is, is that I just feel like if people walk away from my book saying, you know what, that, that, that was a thriller that had a woman who did not have special skills and did not own a specially trained eagle that like flew down and whacked <laughs> guns out of people's hands or anything, but it was compelling. And like, I, I, I it was as thrillery as any other thriller. It was as thrillery as like, you know, uh, 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 Steve, ba- well, I won't compare myself to Steve, but you know, 
if I could take somebody who's just a plain Jane and, and thrust her into this circumstance and compel and make it compelling for people, then I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm happy as a clam if I've been able to do that. So I've got what, what may be a little bit of a tough question for you. So you can pick several, but who's your favorite fictional detective or investigator that you read? Oh boy. That's a good one. I mean, God, that's a really unfair question. <laughs> the next one's going to be worse then, so prepare. Well, I can't. You can't. You can't ask me that. I can't I can't answer it. I mean, I like so many of the one-offs. I like so many of the sort of Yeah, I can't I got to pass. I can't pick. It's like picking a kid. Okay. Well, this this next one's going to be a a, a, t- a 12 on a 10 scale then. So, I this is a a, l- a little bit of a gauntlet I put everyone through toward the end here. So, uh, God forbid it should come to pass, Chris. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, what fictional investigator, assassin, or revenge artist would you want on the case? You can pick anyone. Mm. I mean, I like Reacher's style. I'd like for him to go mm-hmm. after whoever did it. Because they would not just, he would not just like find them, but he would hurt them. <laughs> Rough justice, yes. (laughs) Exactly. I would not want them to go through the justice system. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I spoke with Brad Taylor, I guess, two months ago now, and uh, that was one of the things he and I talked about was, you know, especially in the thriller genre, um, that there's a certain amount of rough justice that readers are comfortable with and almost expect that if it were in headlines today, people would be appalled. But, you know, reading about in the fictional world is, you know, we – a lot of thriller fans crave that that uh, that comeuppance, you know. So I'm. Well, I'm I sure mean, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Uh, it is so cathartic when bad guys get their due. It's yes. so cathartic because it happens so rarely in real life. I mean, we look we look mm-hmm. at these financial scandals that decimated the American economy, and you know, people lying through their teeth every other yep. minute, and not a single mm-hmm. one of them is going to spend a minute in jail. And no. And and the the idea that Jack Reacher could just find these guys and beat the living crap out of them and like leave them bloodied in a ditch and you're like yeah that felt good. Yep. Yeah. Nobody wins but the lawyers. You know that's uh, that's the modern reality. It's true. So and there's can... plenty of blood and there's plenty of uh, of of rough justice in my uh, in my book too. And and again, I had <laughs> it was funny. I had a, a lot of people have really pushed back on the sort of body count in this book. I don't think a single person has died in this book that I, that wasn't required. (laughs) Um, But you know, the people that know me who have read this book have come to me and said, uh, you know, we loved your book, but it's really bloody. Like a lot of people die in this book. Like, are you working some stuff out? (laughs) (laughs) Is this therapy? I know exactly. It's, It's really funny, but I was like, you know what? There's no, nobody dies in that book that, didn't need to die. You know, it, it all needed to happen to kind of get me from point A to point B in the plot. So um, there it is. Fantastic. Where, where can readers connect with you? Um, find your works, find a mailing list, find ways to support you in your writing. Uh, the best way would be to go to my website, which is chrisfrieswickauthor.com. It's K-R-I-S, F as in Frank, R-I-E-S, as in Sam, the W-I-C-K, author.com, or they can just type in theghostmanuscript.com and they'll go right to the website. Not only will you be able to sign up for my uh, my newsletter, which I call the Fresh Hell Newsletter, 
which includes a little bit of, um, you know, my, my humor, a little bit of essays, a little bit of recommendations. It's not specifically just about the book, but it's, it's really a mishmash of lots of things. People seem to really enjoy it. There's also links to uh, some of my journalism work, my other books that I've worked on or been anthologized. Um, and it, you know, it has my event schedule, uh, any of the media that I've, that I've done already for the book, reviews, uh, reader reviews, publisher weekly, uh, other, you know, um, other review sources, uh, sort of a, it's all things ghost manuscript. So, and I'm also on Twitter and on Instagram. And all I have to do is search my name, Chris Frieswick, and uh, it's Chris with a K, and uh, there I'll be. Fantastic, just ready and waiting for, uh, for the laughs and the thrills. Exactly. Wonderful. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, the copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been celebrated writer and debut novelist Chris Frieswick. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there. <laughs>